Yep. Yep, this is a boxer. Lazaro, what's up, bud? No, 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 I'm at the club. Recording. I thought that was, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have it on my calendar. Uh-huh. No, no, that'd be fun, it'd be fun, it'd be fun. Uh, I'll just get, I'll get the gang to wrap up here in the next few hours. Yep, that'll be good, we'll, we'll put something out. A DLC dropped, that's dope. Of course, yeah, of course I'm on that. I'm gonna be, yeah, early access, all of it. Uh-huh. Hey. Yep, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah, I just got this, yeah. Yo, you, you guys are wild. Get that off your head. Get it off. Anyway, no, 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 it's, it's fun. Um, so yeah, we can record. I, I don't want to do the DLC right now. Um, seems like it's covered, right? All the, all the other content creators that, what am I going to say that people don't already know? Um, let me get some, let me get some wraps on the ladder with the new Civs. What they, that's what they want from me. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's in It's a kind of an important call a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just two rounds. Sure, for everybody. Yeah, just, just blow it up, blow it up. Um, so, sure, yeah, I'll record something tonight or tomorrow or, or soon. Um, oh, wants to interview me. You pay? No, I never heard of him. Yeah, no, I'd love for him to, to interview me. Me interview him. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, uh, I'm not really an interviewer. I'm more like the interviewee, you know? So it's just gonna be, I could go. I've got enough experience on the other side. So I could, uh, yeah. I mean, I could interview him. Is he, what's he got like a, like a channel or something or? Uh-huh. Yep. Sure, yeah. And again, be really cool if he was interviewing me, but, um, but I can make this work. I'm a professional, right? So. Yep. Hey, song just changed over. Uh, I really gotta get back on the floor. People are they're just they're dying without me. So I'll do this interview this guy, and I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, DLC next time. Okay. Hey, next time that I come to this club, I'm inviting you. Yeah. No, definitely. You're gonna love it here. You're gonna love uh, just the group, the crowd, just the feeling. Can you feel the energy back there? Yeah. No, this is your. I'm telling you, this is your scene. This is your scene. You're gonna love this. Okay. All right. Hey, keep swinging, right? Okay. My man. This uh. is the biggest flex. <laughs> we have boxer safety. Good reaction by boxer. Here's the right move from boxer. In boxer's favor. Boxer safety. Uh, we've way. got a douche town center scenario. Oh my goodness, I just saw it. This uh, is the biggest flex <laughs> in the decider of a show match. Gonna get CJ with the Castle Age douche. Boxer safe. Boxer. Boxer safe. Boxer. Boxer safe. We have the biggest flex, 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 All right. Welcome back to another episode. Today we're joined by the man with a thousand names. Some of you know him as Yupe. Some of you know him as Jupe. 
the official Finnish pronunciation is I've forgotten, but we're going to call him Jupe while he's on the show. Jupe, welcome to the show. Um, tell us about your your time with Age of Empires. What's your what's your history with this game look like? All right. Well, thanks for having me. Firstly, but I started playing uh, in 2012, which is uh, yeah, more than uh, 10 years ago. Uh, never played uh, RTS games competitively before that, and I had played Age of Empires when I was a child. Obviously, I had a couple of friends, and we used to gather up <clears throat> at each other's house to to play the campaigns, but nothing too competitive back then but then a couple of years before i started playing i started seeing videos of age of empires uh, tournaments in in youtube mainly by by zero empires and actually most of the players that started around my time or a couple years later usually I found out they got into Age of Empires the same way as I did back then. So basically listening to or finding out about Zero Empires and his YouTube videos. Um, I played quite a few years. Um, I got to a decent level quite quickly, but then after that the climb was a bit slower. But after a few years I found out some other Finnish players, uh, like Rubenstock. Uh, was probably my first friend that I found, and that helped quite a lot uh, in terms of improving. And we used to play a lot of team games. And then later on we got uh, joined, let's say joined by, by the Max, for example. And a couple of years later also Viles. So we used to play a lot of team games back in the back in the day uh, with the Suomi players or the Team Finland players. That's now called Suomi. But uh, there were other good Finnish players back in the day too, like Zupi and uh, Northern Pike. So I was usually always on the team in the tournaments, but I I was uh, playing from a bench most of the time. I did manage to win a 2v2 World Cup with uh, Rubenstock and the Max, where I was obviously not playing, except there was a funny coincidence that we had a game against France in that World Cup, and uh, Rubenstock forgot the whole thing, so I had to play. It was a semi-final or quarter-final, I'm not quite sure. That sounds like a very Rubenstock thing to do, to just forget. I watched him a little bit on on stream, and he's a very unique character. I love Rubenstock. Yeah, he. Uh, I mean, he usually never forgets. So, like, it's not really something that he usually does. But, uh, but uh, that time he forgot. Seems but, like uh, his personality just kind of loose and just everywhere, just whatever he wants uh, to do. Yeah. I mean, most of the viewers might know me just from the D T ninety douche videos because there's uh, I think two or three T90 le legend videos about my my TC rush yeah it was something that me and Rubenstock kind of it wasn't a new strategy but we kind of brought it back in like 2018 and after that it got a lot more attention and 
uh, maybe it was a kind of bad thing because uh, I always hear the new players complaining that somebody is t uh, TC dropping them in a game and they get super mad about it. <laughs> I have a friend who created an account called Noobinstock and he, uh, he was like 900 to 1,000 and he uh, TC dropped with every sieve um, for about a year. So that was probably two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I hear there are quite a few players that got to decent ELO as well just by douching. I know one guy that, or there's like two people at least, they douche with Berbers. And they, they went from like solid 13, 1400 to near 2k by just doing a douche with Berbers. Yeah. Uh, I played a guy like that. He did Berber douche up until uh, like 18, 1900. It was a combination of yeah. douche and vil flights. Yeah, that was, and then there was the other guy who was. I played against. I played against both of them actually. They tried to douche, but obviously against me it doesn't really work. But the other guy was like from Kazakhstan or something like that, and he made it to even higher elo, I believe, like to almost two k one. So we could come out here and we could talk campaigns. You know, what what campaigns have you beaten? What levels were they on? You know hard medium whatever most to important, be honest none most important thing about an age player is of course your max elo so what max what's your max elo right now 1v1 uh, my max elo was probably 2100 but um for the past uh, two three years i've not really played actively like i keep a month to break i play 10 15 games and then i take another break and then 10 games so my max elo right now is about 2100 but uh, the first one year the first two years almost since the came out i was always in top 100 and in the beginning mostly in top 50. at the time it was easier since there were less mervs and also maybe i was comparatively better at the time since i played a bit more what does it take to stay there in the top 100? Is that a lot of practice? Is that just time in the game? Are you having to keep up with new metas and new strategies? Or what's what's the difference in top 100 versus top 500? You have to play a lot. But also, for me, I've always played casually in ladder, which is not a good thing. So if, if you if you try hard in ladder, obviously your elo is a bit higher, but it's maybe a little bit stressful. So I've always played more casual style rather than like more try hard. So those things matter a lot. Uh, also, like if you wanted to be the highest in the top, like for example, there are a few players that still do this. Like I think Cupboard, for example especially back in the day, like always picking sieve, picking the best sieve and not opening the random option. That helps you keep keep uh, you higher in the ranks than if you just choose random every time. What else differentiates casual play versus try hard? Is it about strategies and timings? Like you're always going crossbow, you're always trying to hit that timing versus not worrying about it too much or... What, outside of picking random or not, what makes a, what makes a jupe casual session different than a jupe tryhard session? Well, when you try hard, you 
pick a sieve, you, you choose the maps uh, that feel good for you. Most maps have a couple, like, way overpowered sieves compared to others. And if you combine them with the strategy, like, you go into rank game and you already know what you're doing before the game even starts. That's how you get the best result. You already have a plan. The thing is, I, I, I always go casual myself, so just random sieve. Mm, kind of play more reactive rather than having a plan. But obviously in a tournament always, uh, when you play, you should have a sieve picked, a plan picked. If you have a sieve draft, then you have to think about how you draft. You, you even want to practice drafting against somebody. Uh, so you know kind of what other people are picking or watch some other drafts. But yeah, going in with a, with a sieve pick and a plan, that's always the best uh, way to go. Um, that had a, that brought something to my mind. Do you think it's better if you let's talk about how how you learn to play age and how you progress in age? With that in mind, would you recommend people playing casual, or would you recommend them trying hard? Because in my mind, if you try hard, like you just said, let's say I'm a twelve hundred, I'm a fourteen hundred, and I'm picking specific maps, and I've got sieves lined up for those maps. I've even got strategies in mind. I'm probably going to crush the 1400s, but I could also see myself over-inflating my ELO, you know? So I get up to the 16, 1700s, and I'm not ready. And so I just get slapped down real hard. Would it be better to kind of open the maps up, play random, and slowly progress up the ladder so when I get to 16, 1700, I'm legitimately there? I I personally think that Generally, it's best to try to learn one save one strategy at a time, but not stick to that forever. Like, is the, you have a one build order, one save that you're doing, you want to play that for a while, and then you want to switch to completely different strategy, different save, or just uh, switch a uh, civilization within one strategy, so you kind of learn how you do. For example, if you go scout rush, then you start with with Lithuanians or Franks. And then you try out Mongols, Magyars, something else. But uh, it's good to kind of be able to stick to one one strategy at a time. So you kind of learn the ins and outs of that one strategy. How people try to counter it and how you can react to different situations. That's purely my option. I think nowadays there's so many civilizations that if you just play random, you're... At the lower elo, you're uh, constantly confused and you're quite unsure what you should be doing with each uh, civilization. But if you work this way, like one strategy at a time, go for scout, rush, go for man at arms, go for fast archer rush, and try to learn them for as long as possible, and then switching to another strategy that, in my opinion, makes you the most well-rounded player and uh, gives you a good uh, foundation to... Uh, gain ELO and know how to play the game well in general. Obviously, if you just choose one strategy, like do some kind of weird stuff like Hoag, this will give you probably the fastest like ELO gain in a certain period of time, just doing one cheesy thing. Especially if it's something like really strong and what's very hard to counter. Like, for example, a douche might not be a good example since at some point people should know how to defend against it. But um, 
yeah, it it may it doesn't make you overall as well-rounded player, but if you make it to 2k with the one strat, then it's obviously much easier to become 2k in general afterwards. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, I've worked on Scout Rush in the thousands to 1100. I moved on to uh, Double Range Archer. I worked up to after that uh, some Drush and some Men at Arms in the 12 to 1300s. And I've now, at 1,500, I'm settling into kind of a one-range opening, uh, potentially one stable as well, and kind of just play off my opponent for feudal. Um, that's given me a lot of a lot of success transitioning to those. Any thoughts on those? What's your what's your standard go-to uh, if you're just, even just casual play? What's your what's your feudal opening? Uh, nowadays, it's like high elo meta is very heavily into fast one range archers like 18 pop 20 pop uh, not 18 19 or 20 pop one range archers is kind of i would say it's probably the most common opening now it's around 2k elo and then you have the french drush with the two militia after you click up you go up maybe pop 20 or even 19 but i probably st- the most I play now, because I don't play that much, I usually just stick with 19 pop archers or 20 pop archers in general. Or if I have a good scout sieve, then I'll go scouts. Those are yeah. what I usually choose. I'm a big fan of the French Drush. I did French Drush quite a bit at 1400 um, before transitioning to the one range archers. I probably pulled one range, arch- one range archers from uh, Hera and maybe even... I had some had some coaching uh, earlier in the year. I'm trying to go through my list and figure out who the coach was, but um, yeah, I don't see it. My coach pushed me over towards uh, towards one range archers, and that's been successful for me. It's an easy build because it's very easy to react from that build. Or if you go two range archers. Uh, you're kind of stuck with your plan for at least halfway to feudal, like until minute 15. But but for one range fast opening, you can switch to scouts quite fast if you want to. You can add another range if you want to put more pressure. Or you can just fall up and get to castle at a really fast time. And then you can choose again if you want to go crossbowman or knights or maybe just boom in, in some cases. Yeah, the flexibility is important. You open archers, your opponent, even if they're scouts, they're going to go to skirms. Um, and when they go skirms, you, yeah, you drop a stable and you can clean up those skirms. Now their army is kind of countered. You know, you got your archers, you got your scouts. And uh, if for me, the trick is if I've got a pretty generic sieve, if I've got enough archers, say 15 or 20 when I click up, I'll probably go expo. But. If I don't, if I took a bad fight, I've only got three or four archers, I might drop back and play uh, two stable knights. Sometimes I've even done that with Ethiopians. No bloodlines, but I'll, I'll drop into two stable knights. Uh, I did it versus Britons, and that was pretty successful. Um, yeah, it's a good opening. I like that. So Yeah, yeah go ahead. But Dave, Dave was my coach. Um, not Dave AOE, but Dave... Uh, people just know a Dave in the community. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything else about him. Yeah. 
Davey's so, an old schooler. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard he's an OG. Yeah, it's funny because for me, like, almost every player top 200 you, you know from, like most of them you know from 10 years back. Mm. And and you remember they they were like very low elo players and now they're like top tw- twenty top ten, like I remember Hera for example he was in the same team as I when we were in Wobbly, uh, and he started out he dropped to fourteen hundred, uh, and we used to beat him all the time, and then he just kept playing kept grinding kept kept grinding, you would just see him play one v one all day and then slowly climbing seventeen eighteen nineteen hundred. So what's the difference in a Hera and let's say even you, you know, Hera goes up to what's his new max ELO, like 2,700, 2,800, like something silly. Um, what's the difference in him and then you, your max ELO 2,100? Is he just playing more? Does he have more time to dedicate? Is it just a time factor or is there an ELO ceiling for each person? Like, do you think could Jupe, put time in, let's say you don't have any job, you don't have any family responsibilities, could you put time in and be as good as Hera? Or is there an ELO cap on each individual? What's your thoughts? It's a very hard question. Because I think the biggest factors in in your kind of improvements are not really your actual skills or your background, but more like your personality and mindset. Because you have to be able to to grind, which is not something that's very natural for me, for example. Like I lose a couple of games and I slowly start to kind of building up pressure in my brain and get more annoyed, which is not good for the whole grinding mentality. And and you also want to be able to to play five hours, eight hours, 10 hours uh, in a row. And I think those are the be- the best qualities to to be able to improve. Obviously, like for example, Hera, like his mechanics are like top notch. There's not, not much uh, to complain about his mechanics, his micro, the overall mechanics, maybe the strategy. At least we Finns always laughed about Hera's strategy, but obviously throughout the years he's gotten gotten much better at it. And it's just a multitasking the mechanics, and those are things that you only learn by multiple repetition. Like for example, when you start out as a new new player, <clears throat> everything you do in the game requires you to focus highly, and like focus on exact single mechanic. But once you have enough repetition and practice, for example, Dark Age, it should uh, become to you as like you could do it super drunk and still manage to do it perfectly. Like you have to learn it so well that you can repeat it constantly without mistakes and without having to think too much about what you're actually doing uh, while you're uh, doing it. Yeah, I kind of view Dark Age, cause, you know, we have Empire Wars, which cuts out Dark Age and tries to get us into the action. I think Empire Wars is an attempt to go to StarCraft, right? Get things quick and fast. But I like the Dark Age for like a meditative aspect, right? I feel like as I'm going through the Dark Age now, it's uh, it's kind of like a warm up. If you look at 
baseball players, when they walk up to the plate, uh, they all have their own little walk. You know, they want to hit the bat on their cleat, so they want to do something. They have this this pre-bat ritual. Um, golfers, when they walk up to the tee, they might shift their weight, you know, left foot, right foot, three times or something. You know, they've got their they got their little thing that gets them in the zone. That's how I see dark age. Yeah, but for uh, like for many players, they think that, like for example, because uh, Hera's rise to like very top was quite sudden. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't realize that he played for years, like from morning to to evening, like yep. almost daily, like for for years. Like even though he might have rose from like two point two k to to very close to the top in one two years, three years, the, he had a lot of like background, a lot of repetition uh, behind it, and, and it's the so, same for almost every single player in the top. Like even Viper, he it took him years to become like a top player. He, he used to play like only Land Nomad team games in 2007, and it, from there it was years until he was at the top. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to call out. And Hera did a video recently talking a little bit about his background and how bad he was and how he progressed. Um, but I think of people like, um, if you look at. I'm a big Kobe Bryant fan now. I was not a Kobe Bryant fan when he played basketball. I don't watch basketball. I don't care about sports too much. Um, but I do like looking at dudes that are great at what they do. And if you if you follow some of Kobe's story now and stuff that's come out about him, uh, it was the it was a mindset. He was not recruited. Uh, he was recruited out of high school, but he wasn't recruited because he was like taller or stronger or faster like he was never the fastest person on the court he was never the strongest person on the court um but he outworked everybody mentally he was always he was always in the gym he was always the first one to uh, to practice he was always the last one to leave like he put so much into his game um making improvements everywhere and there's i got a quote up on my uh up on my whiteboard that i keep here that he says uh he says i would play to my weakness in order to get better. And so with that, he, he couldn't dribble on his left hand. So when he was playing games in the summer, he would always dribble and shoot with his left constantly, and he was terrible at it. But eventually that became a strength for him, and he could shoot from either hand, from either side, and that blew people away. Uh, I've taken that, and I play crossbow. I play flank in team games because I was terrible with archers. Archers are harder early on you know, than Cav. Um, so that's my Kobe moment, and now I'm, I'm pretty freaking good with archers because I just kept doing it. Uh, so I like I like that you said that. I like the mindset and the mental game. Another kind of Kobe moment. Uh, Kobe, if he won or if he lost, he didn't care. Uh, he's got another quote where he says he's just here. He plays the game to learn and to progress. Doesn't matter if he wins or loses. You can't care too much about winning, and you can't care too much about losing. You just get in the game, play it, figure it out, move on to the next one. And there's um, there's a mentality of that of not getting tilted. You mentioned earlier you got to be able to play for eight hours, um, but for you personally, after a couple of losses, like it starts to get in your head. And uh, you know, I like what you're saying. I'm on board with the mental aspect, and I think people people assume there's a physical difference in Vipers and Harrahs, like their mind works better or their their mouse clicks are faster. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think that's what you're saying too, right? Yeah. I mean, they have the speed and, and you could see Hera had a 
like exceptionally high speed when he started playing as well. But it was not something that was like extremely exceptional. There were mm-hmm. similar speeded players uh, around his ELO back in the day that that never got to well even close to the ELO that Hera got to. But it's also good to say that, for example, like climbing up to let's say fifteen hundred ELO, it's much easier to climb from zero to fifteen hundred than from fifteen hundred to to two K or to higher than two K. And every time you start climbing at that point it usually becomes a bit more well it depends how you take it, but a bit more frustrating and you kind of play against the same guys over for example at my elo i generally every time i face a player even though i play maybe only like a thousand two thousand games i know who i'm playing against when i see the loading screen which is different from lower elo you you generally Mm -hmm. don't get to play against the same players yeah i've played a few guys multiple times but it's not enough to even know know them i've got some kind of a weird photographic memory i'll play a guy um i've I played a guy recently i hadn't played him in two years you know we played in like the 11 and 1200s and i met him again at 1400 and i remembered his name um but that doesn't get me to a point where i can i know his strategy or I know what he's doing and we both progress so much i think that would be both difficult right when you start knowing the players but maybe somewhat easier because if you are in there grinding and studying, like you can kind of watch these guys, right? If you've got 10 or 15 guys you know you're up against, you could kind of study their games if you wanted to, if you wanted to be a big nerd, right, and see what they're going to do. Yeah. Around low load, like some people always play the same. Mm-hmm. But the, the same thing kind of continues to higher low. Mm, quite a lot of players have very distinctive styles that they play at like every almost every single game they don't switch up their like the strategies might change the series might change but the like the general idea of how they read the game is usually quite similar and that's usually what you have to learn eventually in this game like after you try to obviously the easiest way to learn is just to try to learn the mechanics learn build orders perfect those but after a while, you kind of have to develop your own way of reading the game. Like, how I'm going to, or what are my strengths and how I'm going to use those strengths to win. For some players, it means that they always go like heavy late castleates, drop a castle into enemy's face, and like try to push to that way. Some play more passive. They might even like just wait for the enemy to make moves, get up to him faster and then uh, attack back. But but every player kind of has their own personal style, especially at the higher ELO that they kind of follow. So if someone were to hit an ELO ceiling, just can't get past a certain ELO, um, what's your advice? How do you How do you handle that? Have you hit ELO ceilings yourself? How do you break through that? Yeah, multiple times, I feel like. <clears throat> but I think it's about just uh, trying to enjoy the game, play more. And obviously, like from the starting to, to higher ELO, you should always go back and watch your games. 
because if you don't watch your games back, your loss, whether it's a loss or a win, then you can't. For example, at some point there was a time when I just couldn't watch my replays back, and then at some point I went to watch the replays back, and I realized that at this time of the game I was thinking that the situation was way different than what it actually was. Like sometimes I would overestimate my position, and sometimes I would underestimate my position. And those kind of affected my thinking during the game. Like, I was when I was overestimating my position, I was kind of feeling like, okay, I got this game already, so I don't have to do like anything too fancy, just to kind of finish it off. And sometimes when I th thought I was losing, the situation looked actually much better than I thought it would look. And I, I had kind of given up at that point, rather than like try to uh, win the game anymore. Yeah, I think watching games is important. Sometimes I don't watch mine, especially if I know why I lost. I don't want to go back and relive that. But if I'm confused as to why I lost or confused as to why I won, or if I'm wondering why that person stayed in the game, you know, to your point, you kind of get a sense of how the game's going. But if that person's not giving up, I might go watch it and think, like, what did they see that I didn't see? Like, did they have a higher veil count than I thought they did? Or... Um, do they have a lot of military they were trying to use up, but I couldn't find it? Like, what's what was going on in that game? So that's important. Uh, any other ELO crushing tips? So do you ever try to, like, switch up your strategy or what's your anything else to break through an ELO ceiling? Um, switching up a strategy might work and then switching back to your or original one later. I think those are all good options but uh, I think people generally get a bit over anxious and that's the reason they kind of stop climbing also another thing is that you should never kind of especially if you know your opponent or you know that your opponents maybe a bit higher elo or you think that you are at your like peak elo you kind of mentally already thinking that okay these guys are good I, I'm not sure if I can beat these guys and that's definitely the wrong attitude to have. You should always kind of only look the game as if you were playing against a civilization, for example. Like, you see your civ, you see enemy civ. What can I do? How should I open? How the civ reacts? And not think like, okay, this guy's higher, so he probably um, plays a bit better. So I have to try something weird or odd to kind of throw him off like that's completely way wrong way if you want to to learn in the long run yeah i agree and i get that sense even now i'm at my max elo ever and uh, i'm kind of hesitant to play i do a mental game where i have an alt account and i'll play on my alt uh obviously for practice and it doesn't matter you know elo is not really a real thing but um I feel safer playing on my alt account. And in fact, my alt has progressed beyond my main account sometimes and is 40, 50 elo higher. And I don't feel that same pressure on my alt. I don't know why, but it's a mental game that I play with myself. <laughs> and I think that goes back to uh, what we were saying earlier. A lot of this game, there's mechanics, obviously, there's build orders, but the game is not all mechanics and build orders. And I think half the time you're not even playing against your opponent. You're kind of playing against yourself. It's your own mental state. Um, I've even I've even looked up golf videos on how, because um, golf is a super tilting sport, 
you know, you, you shank a, you shank the ball and like you're super mad at yourself and, uh, just how do players in the golf game, how do they, how do they keep that mindset? How do they stay positive? How do they move on to just the next, the next, uh, the next stroke and don't worry about what you just did. Um, yeah, all of those things I think can help move forward in ELO and, and, uh, and kind of ignoring, especially at your max, ignoring the, 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 the voice in your head telling you that these guys I'm about to play are much better than me. Uh, cause that's not, I don't think that's always the case. Yeah. Especially at the lower ELO, like the players make a lot of mistakes. If you yep. can stick to your plan, uh, focus on your current game. Like mostly that comes to like looking at a certain situation and the civilization. Cause sometimes you get a matchup where you just need to make one unit and you, you're going to win against that civilization. And sometimes because you know that one unit is the, the thing that the enemy is going to make, you might have to kind of rethink the game a little bit of what's your plan to countering that unit. If I'm playing somebody who I think is better than me, I'll often, I'll scout them a bit more. I want open scouts always, but like I'll, I'll want to see what they're doing. What are you making? What production buildings are you putting down? What units do you have and upgrades? Um, so that I can counter what they're going for. That that kind of makes me play a little bit more defensive, but I just want knowledge. I want to know what you're trying to do to me so I can be prepared. Hmm. I think choosing an aggressive strategy, if you're used to that against those kind of players, is not a bad idea since then you're kind of always at your driver's seat if you're playing something. Like, meaning something aggressive, I just mean it like maybe fast man at arms. Mm -hmm. Or just like uh, preparing your map in a way that, like, if you go fast archers and you wall up, there's literally almost nothing your enemy can do against it. Yeah. So that's also kind of an aggressive, like, you're in a driver's seat strategy. Yeah, I agree. I like I like being upfront as well with minute arms or drush or something. Let's talk about coaching a little bit. You have a, a coaching program. Yeah, I. I co-founded uh, AOIBuilds.com. It's been a bit over three years now. Um, it had a quite an interesting start since. Uh, actually, uh, before COVID, I started coaching. And since then, like one-on-one -on -one coaching. Since then, I've probably done about 200 different people or close to 200 different people from various ELO groups. Uh, but in the summer of 2020, uh, I had a guy I was coaching and he, he just asked me, like, wouldn't it be quite easy to just put all this stuff uh, into a website with the videos to, to be able to learn? Since uh, when you're starting out, actually, I still almost have the same, um, same kind of format when I start with a new player. If the player is under 1,200, the first three, four hours are usually exactly the same with each individual. Like there's not much, uh, like the build order might be different, for example, the strategy I see might be different, but the, the methods are exactly the same. So that's how our partnership became and uh, we built up the site. Been running decently for three years, uh, slowly kind of trying to improve it. And uh, what we did quite, well, it was not quite recently, but about a year ago, 
I made a 10 day like training plan program, which at least from what I've asked about the people that have gone through it, they're quite happy about it. It's like, it's more of a like self-training guide, like how, how you self-train yourself to become a better player rather than just telling a build order or what to do in feudal age with that build order or castle age or imperial age. Well, it's more like a self-training tool uh, on top of that. How many players have gone through your program and do you have any specific success stories that come to mind? Uh, it's it's hard to say since not everybody goes through the program um, that how many have gone through, but if I had to guess, like 50 to 100 at least. Um, as I said, the site, even though it's there's not been a lot of exposure, um, it's been going quite okay for the three years. Like, I haven't. Obviously, I do my one-on-one -on -one coachings, but but with one-on-one -on -one coachings and uh, and the site, I haven't had to to work for the past uh, three years. Uh, but obviously, I'm studying, so but I don't need to do any like summer summer work or anything. Anybody had any major ELO gains, or has anybody come back and like you help them break through a wall? Like, what's what do you normally see? I know a few few members from early AO builds days that are now two K plus, and those I never thought they just uh, went through the site mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, from a coaching like one on one coach standpoint, there have been two players that are that coach from. 1200 to near 2k obviously it took uh, quite a while the other one was like a year the other one was like more like one and a half two years mm. it's because we don't we never get to kind of we, we don't catch up to all the members so it's it's hard to say how, how well they improved but uh I'm quite confident that, uh, for example, the 10-day 10, 10 training plan, if you're like 1,100, I'm quite sure you're, you'll come out 12 to 1,300 after the 10, 10 days if you put your effort into it. Yeah, and I recommend the video training. I haven't watched your videos, obviously, um, but I have gone through video trainings from other folks, and there's a lot of value there because uh, they'll, they'll go into details of just mechanics and openings and how to respond, stuff that you don't think about and don't even think about asking when you're at a lower ELO. Um, I went through some videos at 12 to 1300 and they definitely helped me uh, think about the game differently and, and get up to 1500. It says in your training, uh, the training can get you from beginner to 1500 ELO. Uh, after that, what do you, I see there's personalized training. Is that what you'd recommend if you're beyond 1500? Um, it probably depends by each person. I would say if you make it to 1500, then you're going to have to go everything through yourself. Like if you get coaching, that helps like one-on-one -on -one coaching, but, uh, and obviously you have to get a bit better with the mechanics. So obviously from our side, you could also learn a lot if you're 1500, but generally you should be quite familiar with the basic concepts at that time. 
I, but I think at that point it's more just like enjoying and seeing what your own style is and then seeing if you can keep on learning. Because usually if you learn all the mechanics well, you get to 1500, you just kind of play and uh, um, follow your or de develop your own style and you should kind of go gradually uh, upwards with your ELO. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's close out with, um, if you listen to the show, you know, folks come here a lot for competitive advice uh, for the rank ladder. They need that. These guys, uh, you and me, we're really good at this game. Listeners, a lot of campaign players here. They don't know what to do on ranked. So I thought you and I could talk about uh, the new ranked pool coming up, give these guys some advice on uh, just openings, maybe sieve choices. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. So I'm pulling up the game now. We just finished a vote, I believe, right? Last few days. It was kind of close when I looked at it. I always try to vote up some of the lower maps because uh, there's usually one map that's it's going to win. But I always try to look at uh, at the second ranks and see if I can push somebody up. All right, 1v1s. Voting ends today, it looks like. But right now, so not quite closed out. But it looks like we're going to be playing Enclosed and Scandinavia for sure. And then, yeah, it's a tie between Eclivity, Golden Swamp, and Hillfort. So let's talk about Enclosed and Scandinavia since they're definitely going to win. Um... Let's do enclosed first. What's your thoughts on the map enclosed? What sizz would you play? What openings would you play? Enclosed is the one where you spawn center. You have the rocks around, right? Yep. Um, so you get an easy wall off to your wood and farmico, but but uh, having the berries and the gold outside, it's something that you can use as a pressure point for your enemy, try to get him off gold or berries. So I would <clears throat> probably look into good man-at-arm sieves. Mm. Man-at-arm archers probably way to go, or fast archers, but then you have to make sure you're walled up your berries and gold. Maybe sieve-wise, like, because you have a save start, at higher level, I would say like Meso, Mayans, Chinese. At the lower elo, though, it's a bit harder. Like like this map, it has a lot of different things you can make work. So it's a bit more confusing than, for example, like Scandinavia. It's a bit more straightforward. But uh, but yeah, maybe Mayans. It would be good. You could go one range. Could call Manathon, one range archers, then go Eagle Monk if you're against a Night Sieve. Or you could also go like even Scouts works, Lithuanians. Why not? Mm. Scouts into skirms, then into knights. Gaining map control in Castle Age is quite important. Or or at least securing your own gold uh, and the outside resource spots so they can't get raided. Do you recommend an early tower on your gold and your berries? 
if you if you know the enemy is going archers and you can't defend you have to make a tower yeah mm, you have to be able to read the enemy like if he goes scouts the tower makes no sense because you can just have a spearman there for example yeah so scouting is important i like i like that concept if you see a stable um, no tower, but the second you see the range, if you're not ready to defend it with skirms or something, drop a tower. Um, that's always hard on enclosed because you, you're going to have a pretty safe farming eco and wood eco, but your berries are exposed, your gold's exposed, your stone's exposed. Um, that makes feudal. Feudal fighting is very important. You really yeah. can't fast castle on this map. But also the distance between the players is larger. So it gives you opportunity to try to play defensive and get up to castle fast just because of the distance. But in that case, like a tower defense wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. Because you could technically just protect your gold. If you have a, two resources near the tower, then even better. I've had some close spawns where uh, I saw a guy take some of my... Because there's water buffalo there, right? I've had some a guy take my water buffalo on accident because he was looking for his own but we were just spawned so closely um so be careful with that but yeah if uh, you got to figure out the distance between you and the opponent uh so that's enclosed any, any tips for late game is it since Thanks since so. everything's yeah it's everything's so open you really can't wall off the side of the map are you generally castle dropping your own resources to protect them or, or what's your late game look like there's a lot of extra gold piles kind of free-for-all position so if you can get like a map control with castles around the key resources that will help you out um, obviously if you have a hazard mass hazard rates are very dangerous since mm-hmm. there's no possibility to wall so only like castles are your only real protection in that map yeah. If you control the sides close to the enemy, it's very hard for the enemy to try to push from there. And then if you have some raiding unit on top of that, uh, you can go from both sides to raid. You can always fall back to your castle. And uh, yeah, that map control in that map is very important in late game. And you can always honor your chop through mid if you really want to make it chaotic. True. All right, what about Scandinavia? Uh, it's not a map that we see a whole lot. Uh, it's got water down either side. Um, is that worth docking? How do you yeah. play Scandinavia? It's always worth docking. But there are like two different types of spawns in the map. You either spawn so that each of the players kind of have their own lakes cause there's, or rivers because there's river on both sides but sometimes you both kind of spawn in the middle so then you might have the same water and then it might be worth to fight for the water or if you have separate waters it might be worth to try and sneak sneak to the enemy's uh, dock and fish too but i think in lower elo uh, those strategies work less like in high elo everybody's gonna try to go for your fish but in a lower elo you might just be able to fish boom in complete silence and nobody will will bother you and neither you, will you bother the enemy. I think lower you though, if you're going to contest the fish, um, 
it's probably best to do that in a limited capacity, right? One or two fire ships just to get them distracted uh, because yeah, they're probably going to go just, land. You could just sneak it uh, in, even in Castle, just two fires and they, they might not even notice when the fish is killed. Yeah, that's but, true. But a good, good build order for this map can go a long way because you, you can make a build where you go uh, dock and man-at-arms with like 18 villager up, even 17 with... Like, like obviously Mongols in this map is like super overpowered if you're gonna go for a pixel because of the extra deer, three boars. Uh, I think with Mongols it would be possible to do 17 pop up time with uh, three fishing ships going man-at-arms. So you kind of have uh, the water and also a very aggressive strategy. Then you can go for archery range or just walls and go to castle edge. But uh, for this map, Mongols obviously is the way overpowered because of the amount of hu amount of hunt you have. What other civs would you think? I always wonder if, since it's Scandinavia, are Vikings a good civ here? That kind of feels like what I want to play on this map. Um, not really, I think. Because uh, if you get fires on your pond, you can't defend with Vikings, so that makes it harder. Plus, Vikings are really strong in Arabia, for example, because of the faster farming. Mm -hmm. And also, just like if you're facing a French Drush or a Drush or Man-at-Arms, just having the free wheelbarrow helps you quite a lot with the villagers. Even against archers when you run away from a woodline. So Vikings are very strong on that, but there's a lot of natural food, so it kind of slows down the advantage that the Vikings gain. And since you can't... Uh, defend against a fire rush if you're going for water then makes it a bit harder for the vikings so what other said you mean, like you like mongols here mm -hmm. anything else mongols probably best it's very easily vulnerable so you could do um any strong unique unique sieve into castle drop works quite well here uh, spanish turks um what are the strong you use if there are Portuguese, obviously. Uh, yeah, those would be a nice uh, cheesy strats that would probably win the game quite easily if you picked uh, Spanish, for example, and just went full conquistadors from Fast Castle. Mm -hmm. I like that. I've always I enjoy the Scandinavia map. I always have good games there. They don't feel like. Uh... Uh, I don't know, something like Socotra, where it's stressful. I feel like Scandinavia is a nice, you get a lot of food, um, you can play around, you can lose some units, you can build some units. Seems like a pretty, uh, I've enjoyed the map. Uh, I'm looking over at team games real quick, and we'll close it out, just see if there's anything worth asking you about. Um, looks like we're probably going to have Team Socotra, Team Amazon Tunnel, those Amazon Tunnel, I hate Amazon Tunnel so much on team games. Um, yeah, it's a special kind of map. <laughs> yes, yes it is. And it's Amazon Tunnel and we'll have Black Forest. So it's looks, looking like a very clowny, clowny team game map pool. Um, I can't tell what the third one's going to be. Maybe Mountain Pass, maybe Coastal Forest. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything... Worth, unless you have an amazing Amazon tunnel uh, plan. <laughs> mm, you could try 
go hold like a half team go field ledge but it's very if the enemy is walled you're kind of screwed yeah we've done that we've but, tried feudal pressure and uh, it, it works it works if you if you get inside then you can wall in front of their base to get all the map and maybe you can have some one guy that goes to castle drop so because you have the map map control he comes in and drops a castle like right next to their base well not necessarily right next to their base but but a safe way would be to wall their gap next to their base and somebody comes in and makes a castle there and then just goes in with like conks or chanis or mangadai or whatever they like strong unique units that's probably where we mess up we go full feudal if we had one person go in castle and drop in a castle that would help back up our our feudal units I think generally in those weird kind of team game maps, if you have a strategy where one guy is going aggressive or two guys going aggressive, then you have to have one guy that that booms and one guy that's doing like castle ace pressure. Mm -hmm. Like usually it's not a good idea to have everybody go feudal, but you can have one or two guys go feudal, one guy boom and one guy going aggressive on castle edge. And that works for, it's not only like Amazon Tunnel, but like plenty of uh, hybrid style maps. Yeah. Those are good thoughts. Jupe, this has been fun. Uh, we're going to close out here. We'll probably bring you back. There's a lot of topics uh, we could talk about with you. Uh, we talked offline about um, just AOE history, tournament history. You seem like you've, you know a lot of... Uh, a lot of people. You're talking about Velas and and the Max. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear from you uh, how Team Suomi works, uh, just training together and and what it looked like as that team formed. And uh, so we'll probably have you back. This was a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Any closing thoughts for the people? Yeah, I've enjoyed it too, and it would be nice to come back to talk about uh, different topics for sure. Um, I always enjoy talking about age stuff, not just my own company or my own program, but since I've been part of the community for a very long time and following everything quite closely, it's it's uh, very enjoyable for me to talk about yeah, it's new great, times, old times. It's a great game. I love the RTS genre. Uh, I feel like Age of Empires gives us a place to kind of build out some mastery. It gives us a skill set to work on. And... Uh, yeah, for those of you guys at home, hey, keep that ELO grind going. Enjoy your campaigns if that's your thing. Uh, but the ladder will be here waiting for you when you're ready to play. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been Boxer Saint with Jupe. Talk to you guys later.